Hello, my name is Jeff, and I'll be your preacher today. <laughs> and hopefully for as long as uh, you and the Lord will allow. I cannot think of another place I would rather be on the Lord's Day than be with my church family. And it's good to see you today. I'm thankful for those we have in our midst who are able to come and be able to use their gifts as well to be able to share in the pulpit and with other ways be able to bring the word. And uh, we appreciate that. Would you find your Bibles today? Second Samuel chapter 21, not 121. Sorry, I'm new at this and I missed that in the bulletin. Rusty at it anyway, but we're in Second Samuel chapter 21. Going to begin reading in verses 15 and following here in just a few moments as we begin to look at this passage today. I, I am thankful today, and I thought about this recently, I'm thankful to be on this journey with you. We realize that in Christ that we are not simply recycling or we are not simply going around in circles, but we have direction and we have a purpose and we have a way in which the Lord is leading us. And we have a directive. We know and Jesus, and that is to be a part of the kingdom work. We want to be a part of bringing more and more people into the kingdom so that more might be able to know Jesus and that we might be better disciples. Jesus is also building his church. He's helping us to become more and more like Christ. He's building his kingdom uh, so that we might be able to have access to Jesus and might be able to get in and be a part of the work in which he is doing and wanting to accomplish in this world and in our lives. The Lord has given us a vision. We believe as a church, particularly here in this particular place and this particular purpose, and we believe it has to do with reaching new people. It's helping people to be able to reach and to be able to know new life found in Christ and that we might be able to help them and help us to know what our next steps are as believers in the Lord Jesus. We, we introduced a little bit of a, a five and a ten year vision in 2020 about the time that COVID hit. We continue to be able to share some of that. And our key verse is found in John 14, 6 for these next few years. And that is, it's a verse that most of you know, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Believing Jesus is the way, it's the only way in which people might be able to come and to be able to know Christ. We know that He is the truth so that we might be able to find next steps found in Him and that He is the way in which we might be able to find life, new life as well as everlasting life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Well, you are invited, Parkway members and new members and guests, to come and to join with us in the plan in which the Lord has for us. And we believe that plan has to do with furthering discipleship as well. And part of that is, uh, has to do with uh, how we find ourselves in God's Word. We want you to personally be a part of reading God's Word. We're starting a new 100-day reading plan in August, and we'll continue with those particularly these first five years of the 2020s. And it also has to do with uh, what we're preaching from the pulpit. And uh, we're kind of making our way through God's Word beginning in 2020. And uh, already we're beginning to talk about David. And so this is kind of a, a new series or part of a series in which as we talk about uh, David here in 2 Samuel. And of course the, our goal is we'll not be able to look at every chapter and every verse, but by 2030 we're going to be back and forth some in Old and New Testament, but we'll be talking about Revelation in 2030. Now, I get different reactions when I say that to you. Some of you look scared to death that I'm still going to be your preacher in 2030. And others of you say that uh, they sure would like to talk about Revelation before we get to 2030 because you may not be around at that time for one reason or the other. But my heart, my uh, hope is that you want to be a part of the journey 
through God's word, the journey of being better disciples, the journey of building God's kingdom and reaching more people for Jesus Christ. Well, today we kick off what's really is a new part of the same series. The series is called He's Still King. And we look at the kings of the Old Testament and we've looked at Saul already and uh, how Samuel's at work, Samuel the prophet is at work and they're looking at other kings and and recognizing that Jesus is still, regardless of what happens in this world, Jesus is still kings. And we learned that by looking at the good and the bad. I guess it happened sometimes in the Old Testament with the kings of the Old Testament. Well, as we've come here, we begin to look at uh, David. And you figure here's David. He encompasses 40 chapters, nearly 40 chapters of the Old Testament, considered the greatest king of Israel in the Old Testament. And I figure he needed his own section or maybe his own season of this series. So here it is. And you might notice a little bit different front and some of this, that that is that he's still king, bring on the giants. And so we're going to look at lessons from the stories of David. And this morning we're going to begin by looking toward the end, at the, toward the end of David's reign, 2 Samuel. Yes, I didn't say first, that was not a mis- uh, communication, but Second Samuel chapter 20, verses 15 and following. And uh, if you ever read the last chapter of a novel first or to find out who done it before, some of you, yeah, I probably never have. But in this particular case, uh, we're going to kind of look at the end first for, and we're going to journey through this very distinctive and compelling passage. And as we do, we're going to read a little, share a little maybe as we go. It's not a lot of verses, so we'll be sharing almost verse by verse. But I'm I'm starting here toward the end for a couple of reasons. One, I want us to set the pace of what we're going to be doing here over the next few weeks at the end of the summer and beginning of the fall and looking at David. And also, I kind of want to set some goals for us. What is it that we want to be learning from the lessons from the stories of David? And I think these verses will help us to be able to do that. David, we know he faced more than one giant. He didn't just face Goliath. That was certainly one of the giants. We think about the giants we, in the Bible. We certainly think of Goliath, but David faced other giants. Uh, his uh, predecessor, King Saul, and his one-time father-in-law, we know, wanted to kill him and was after him. And so that certainly was a giant. So he had giants with job and family. He had temptations and sins and had to deal with the consequences of his sins. These were giants in his life. Can anybody relate maybe to any of these? So let's give a, even before we read the scripture, let's uh, Let's give a definition of what is a giant. And so here's a definition. I think we've got it here. Any crisis, circumstance, or conflict that may cause you to stumble or allow you to demonstrate a growing faith in Jesus. Now, you'll see this definition again, and we may help it to grow and may modify it here along the way. Now, some of you that like to take notes, you may not have a lot to write because a lot of times you have you write just a word or two. And so if you're having a problem with this, and maybe particularly sometimes, maybe more in our second service, we have some of our younger people leaving in the first grade and around to help to take notes. And then I, I, I see them sometimes if we go too fast, they get a little frustrated. So if that's a lot to write down, you could just write this down. It's a, what is a giant? A big problem. It'd be okay. That might help you to be able to define what a giant is in your life as well. But, but here's another reason that I'm starting here in this passage today. This is by far my favorite text in the Bible having to do with David. Now, as you will see, David does not do very much in these verses. But it is my favorite passage about David, and I just couldn't wait to tell you. 
And I've been thinking about it for weeks. And so here it is for you today to be able to, we'll just begin. Let's just read the first verse of our text, 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 15. And it says, there was war again between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with the servants and they fought against the Philistines and David grew weary. We'll stop right there for just a moment. I love the story of David and his fighting men. It's, the not, it's not the most famous of the stories about David. We're toward the end of David's life. Now, the most famous of the stories of David, of course, outside maybe of David and Bathsheba is the story of David and Goliath, where you know the story. David goes to take supplies to some of his older brothers who are fighting in the Israeli army, and they're set up. And there's the Israeli army on one mountain, and then there's the Philistines on another mountain and a valley in between, and Goliath comes out every day to taunt the Israeli army and says to them, said, just send one man out to fight me and winner take all kind of a thing. Well, no one's willing to fight. No one's willing to fight, go up against Goliath, of course, except David. And of course, David asked, who is this who defies the army of the living God? And then he says in the passage, and because we'll be doing that later on more about this passage, but David says, the same God who's helped me with the lions, the tigers, and the bears will help me with this Philistines. He really didn't say tigers. He just said lions and bears, but it kind of fits in with maybe something else. But David grabs five smooth stone and a stick, and he goes up against Goliath, and Goliath, true to form, says to David, am I a dog that your kid would come at me with a stick? And David says, among other things, the, he says, today the world will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel. And with one swing of the sling, Goliath is hit between the eyes and falls face forward. One of the great stories of the Old Testament and that's been referred to throughout the ages from preachers to theologians to Sunday school teachers to sports commentators about David and Goliath. Most of the time when we talk about facing our giants, we talk about the little guy having victory over the big guy or the big problems. And God does want to give us victory over the giants in our lives and those things that would overwhelm us. But we're going to talk about this more. But the true application is, is that win or lose, that we'll stand and fight or do whatever it takes to honor the name of God while facing the giants in our life. And we understand that it's not so much about our own victory but it is about honoring and exalting the name of Jesus. Did you notice, and you're sure that you know the answer to this, what army was Goliath from? And of course, he's from the Philistine army, sworn enemies of Israel. We'll read many times as they went to do battle here in the passages in which we read. And they always seem to be at war. So let's read again. Let's read 15 through 17, if we can now. Read 15 again. There's war again between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with the servants and they fought against the Philistines and David grew weary. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword thought to kill David. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistines and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with us to do battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Let's stop right there for just a moment. By this time, now David is king and he is a little bit older here than he has been previously. Now, it's not probably meant to be that this battle happened one after the other back to back to back. It probably was a summary of the many, some of the battles in which we're going to read by the time we get to the end of this passage. And 
But when David became king, sometimes he went out with, to do battle. Sometimes he did not. This become perhaps maybe the last time in which he goes to fight with his men. The Philistines know that David is fighting. The focus is on him. David got exhausted. You ever heard the phrase, it's not the years, it's the mileage? Well, probably in David's case, it was both. And some of the Philistines were descendants of Rapha or the Raphaim, sometimes called the Anakites, who inordinate men who, or, uh, men of inordinate size and strength who lived in the land of Canaan. And by this time, David and the Israelites had battled many times with the Philistines. And by far, particularly when David was leading, the Israelites had won most of the time. And, and as long as the Philistines had one or more of these horses, they'd keep coming to war again. In this, this battle, there's one of these giants. Some of your translations say he's the son of the giant, maybe meaning that he's son of Goliath. And perhaps uh, his size is seen in the size of his spear weighing 300 shekels, which is about seven and a half pounds. Now, 300 shekels sounds like a whole lot more than that, I guess. But if you ever tried to throw a spear that had a point on it of eight pounds, you'd realize you'd have to be a person of pretty good size and strength to be able to throw such. But maybe just to give you a little bit of perspective, Goliath's uh, spear weighed 15 pounds. And the Bible says he was carrying a new kind of weapon. I read from the English Standard Version it said a new sword. All we know is some kind of new weapon. And this giant is on his way to kill David. And he was the biggest and the best that the Philistines had. And he had one mission, kill the king. But Abishai came to David's rescue and killed the giant. This uh, brother of Joab, David's general, Abishai had been with David from the very beginning. Even before he became king, he was a friend. What, what I want you to notice is the relationship each of these giants had to David. Abishai had been with David for a long time. And of the people we're going to mention in this passage, he was certainly the closest. So Abishai was a friend to David. Abishai was a friend to David. Now, after the battle, David's men... Uh, said, we're not going to let you go out to battle anymore. We'll handle it. You're too important as the lamp of Israel. It's the only time that this particular title is used for David, but meaning that David was a symbol of their hope and the blessings of God in Israel. He was a shining light in a dark world, and the Lord had put that light in him. When, when David, you might remember, was a, anointed king by the prophet Samuel, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and it never left him. Already we're beginning to see maybe significance of this passage. In, in David we see sometimes a reflection of Jesus. And as David is called the lamp of Israel, we understand and know that Jesus is the light of the world. But much more than a symbol, Jesus is the hope of the world who changes lives for now and for eternity. Well, what does that have to do with this passage? Well, hang on. Look at verse 18 if you would. In verse 18... It says, after this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And then Sibachai, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who is one of the descendants of the giants. Now, here's another battle. In fact, we're going to read a lot of these verses. And very short few verses we're going to read here. But for several of them, we're going to begin. After this, there was another battle with the Philistines. So here's another battle. There's another giant. And Sibachai, who is one of David's captains, kills that giant. Now, the only thing that we know about Sibachai is that he was one of the leaders in Israel. So, 
As we have seen that Abishai was a friend of David, we here we see that Sibachai was an associate of David. He was a fellow soldier under David's command. If anybody ever asks you, and sometimes they'll ask this question, try to say something negative about the Bible, or how can you believe it? Well, there's all these giants in the Bible. Where are those giants today? Well, I think we're reading what happened to most of the giants. Taking to this passage, what David and his men may be doing here, they seem to be getting rid of all the evil giants in the world. But I wonder sometimes, are, are giants getting a bad rap? I mean, is every giant evil? Well, not necessarily, of course, but we understand all those who are against the Lord and against the Lord's army were enemies of God's people. Now, let's take just a moment to understand, make sure that we define enemies. They are never God's people. They are, excuse me, they are never people. God's people either. They are never flesh and blood. The enemies that we face today are sin, Satan, death, and sometimes self when we become selfish. The powers, principalities of this world and the enemies are not flesh. Even those who are against God, even those who are against God's word or God's people, they're not enemies. They're people that we want to win uh, to the Lord as well. Read verse 19. Verse 19 says, There was again war of the Philistines at Gob and Elhanan, the son of Jarrah Oregim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, it's okay, you might wonder about this passage. Because here we have somebody else killing Goliath. How could Elhanan have killed Goliath? David killed Goliath. Now, if biblical challenges fascinate you, you have one here. Over the centuries... And even millenniums, perhaps, this verse has been explained in many ways. It's Jewish tradition, speaking of the Old Testament or what the Hebrew Bible, that Elhanan and David are the same person. It's just a recap of what has taken place. And they say that they, Elhanan just must have been another name for David, though we don't have that anywhere else in the Bible. And then you still have to figure out about the dads having different names. And except for a textual problem, there's no way to make Elhanan and David the same person. It might help us to understand that this same story is told in 1 Chronicles chapter 20. And there it says, Elhanan killed the brother of Goliath. Well, okay, that probably makes a little more sense. I can accept that. Well, if that's true, then it seems that one of these passages seemed to have a mistake in it. Hey, and I, I believe it all to be true. And I know something about textual criticism and... And though I may not always have to explain it, I believe it all to be true. Now, how can both be true, though? How could David and Elhanan both have killed Goliath? Or one passage say that he killed Goliath. Another passage said that he killed the brother of Goliath. But I want to give you maybe an explanation. But before I do, I want you to understand that it's okay that if you can't explain it or a particular passage, not just this one, it doesn't mean that you still can't believe it and we can still believe it all to be true. And this may be one of those things that are not necessarily a test of faith and fellowship, but it does help us to be able to say that all of it is true because I've wondered about this passage and then I heard about a fella by the name of Larry who had a brother by the name of Daryl and another brother Daryl. Has anybody ever heard of this? I may not tell all this in the second, but I knew that some in the second service, but I knew some of you would know. And then there that then there. So I figure if Larry can have a brother named Daryl, another brother named Daryl, there can be a brother named Goliath and another one named Goliath. And then, then I also heard about George Foreman, boxer George Foreman, who named all five of his sons George. So I figured if that could happen and George can name all of his sons, then there can be brothers with both the same name. Listen, did you see what just happened? 
this passage that has confounded theologians through the ages, we just saw with Larry Darrell and Darrell and George Foreman. Well, Elhanan, this is the point, killed the brother or the relative Goliath, whose name's also Goliath. Surely reflecting how big he was, he carried a spear like a weaver's beam, which probably just meant an unusually large spear, maybe had a loop or cord that somehow helped the accuracy. About Elhanan himself, we know nothing except for this passage. Now, his name means God is gracious. Did you notice where he's from? He's from Bethlehem. He's just another, where David was from. He's just another giant killer from Bethlehem. But here's what I want you to notice. Elhanan was a neighbor of David. Have you seen enough giants yet? Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. Verse 20 and 21 says this. And there was war again at Gath. Again, there was, excuse me, and there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was ascended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shammai, David's brother, struck him down. Man of great stature. Had uh, six fingers and six toes. The writer of this passage did the multiplication for you and said there's 24 just in case multiplication is not your strong suit. And there's a name for people that have 24 fingers and toes. No, it's not freakish. It's, uh, the condition is called hexadigitation. Now, there'll be a test later just in case. And these people are known to be polydactyl. And it's not as uncommon as you might think. One in every 500 or so babies are born with an extra digit. Usually in most hospitals, it's surgically removed while still in the hospital. Uh, Antonio Alfonseco, a major league pitcher born in the Dominican Republic, has 12 fingers and 12 toes, just like his dad does. And there's also another famous basketball player. Legend has it, has it that those with 24 digits have an extra strength, ability, and intelligence. Although that doesn't sound very intelligent for this giant to go ahead and go do battle with the Philistines, or excuse me, with the Israelites and think that he could win that particular battle. But uh, we have here Jonathan killed the fourth giant. Jonathan, not King Saul's son Jonathan, who became David's best friend, but another Jonathan, who is David's nephew, slew the giant. What was uh, Jonathan's relationship? Jonathan was a relative of David. Jonathan was a relative of David. Have you been counting the giants? How many? Well, just in case the writer lets us know, if you're not good at multiplication, then maybe addition either. So verse 22 gives us a recap on there of this chapter. Verse 22 lets us know that there were four who were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by David and by the hand of his servants. Who did the killing of the giants? Well, there was his friend and fellow warrior. There was one of his captains. There was an unknown person, but from the same hometown. We know only his name, and there's his nephew. Friends, associates, neighbors, and relatives. I had a friend and fellow staff member that I worked with years ago, and he was known for saying, he said, you need to bring your friends to church, or you need to tell your friends about Jesus they really just thought he had a southern draw. And one day they asked, are you saying friends? He said, no, I'm saying friends. F-R-A-N. Your friends and your relatives and your associates and your neighbors. And certainly uh, it is the, those who we might be the influence. So here's the point. When David killed Goliath, 
Boy, that was great, especially when no one else would or could. But greater still, perhaps, is the influence they had on others who began to say, because of his influence, King, don't you worry about fighting any more giants. We believe in the same God that you do. We're trusting God to give us victory in the battles, just as you have. We'll take care of those giants with God's help who come before us. Oh, uh, there's a song out, one line of the song, Oh, to have the faith to face the giants. Well, having enough faith to face your your giants is important. But as we think about where we're going today, and we're going to be going in the next few weeks and months and years, learn how to have the kind of faith that will influence others to face their giant or their giants. This is a step above. This is what I want us to learn. How can we be a people who are a step above and not only have faith in God, but influence others as well to place their faith in God? I have no doubt that God can do a lot through you, but consider how much God can do through you and others whom you might strengthen, whom you might encourage along the way. Ministry and kingdom work will multiply when you become a person of influence like David was a person of influence. So let's talk just in these next few moments about how you can be a person of influence to those around you. And I want you to know this is kind of a preview of kind of some of the things that we see in these verses as well as the many stories of David. And we're going to just got got four of them, four things. Sure, we'll talk about more than these, but uh, some of the things that you want to see. So we're going to kind of give a summary of these and in coming days and coming weeks, we'll talk a little bit further about this one. But this is the first one. To be a person of influence, you must first demonstrate your faith. And not just talk about your faith. First part of verse 15, we've read it twice already. But even in his older age, David was going out to do battle with his men. He had nothing more to prove to himself. He's the greatest military legend of Israel. But he cared for the protection of the Lord's people. And he would not ask anyone to do what he was not willing to do. No one could ever question David's courage. Faith by example is the greatest teacher. Uh, When I was in uh, preacher school and uh, working on a little uh, thesis dissertation type thing... the, it was geared toward how to influence people to share their faith and turn in, you turn in this kind of thing where you turn in parts to your project committee and they'd like to tear it up a little bit and start over. Good thing. But uh, Charles Carter, Dr. Charles Carter was my committee chair, one time pastor at Shades Mountain Baptist in Birmingham. He's spoken here at this church and great preacher minister, of course. And one day he said, Jeff, you know, it's great to tell others how or why to share their faith. But if you don't tell them how to do it yourself, it'd probably not be very effective. So in my little thesis, I had a chapter on personal experiences, some that were successful in times maybe that were not so successful, not to blow my own horn or to point toward me, but to influence, be an influence on others. Let me try this out on you. I'm not sure about the show. There was a show that came out called Happy Days. It came out in the 70s about people living in the 50s. It became more popular in the 90s. I don't know. Here we are talking about the 2020s. It's okay. But uh, there was uh, uh, Richie Cunningham, formerly Opie Taylor, of course, but uh, an episode particularly about how he was facing bullies and he wanted to be tough like the Fonz and not be pushed around by the bully. So he went to Fonzie to help him out. Fonzie asked him how he might be taught to be tough or to fight or what he and Fonz asked him, said, How many times have you seen me in a fight? He said, I've never seen you fight. Everybody else always backs down. He said, That's because I act tough. And 
Richie asked him if he might be able to talk to how to act tough. And he dresses different. And teaches him to talk different. Look tough. Not that scared. He's, he's expecting bullies to back down. But when he has his first confrontation, the bully's not backing down. So he turns to the Fonz. He says, oh, it's not working, Fonz. What? He said, oh yeah, I forgot one important thing, one detail. For this to work, you'll have to have had hit somebody at some point in time. And Richie says, that's not a good detail to leave out, Fonz. Listen, if you want to be able to influence others, we have to practice what we preach. Let's, let's say you have a giant in your life. You have a big problem. And when the Lord help, he helps you to give victory over your problem, whatever that looks like. You give the Lord credit and you move on, hopefully growing in the Lord. Now, let's say that you have a problem or crisis in your life and God wants to give you victory in all things. And, and we'll see how God, we believe in Christ, has already given you the victory. We just need to claim the victory. But you see how God wants to use your problem or your crisis to not only to help you, but to help you point others to Jesus and help you to help other people to face their giants. See, that's a different way. Helps us to be able to see some of our giants and our problems from the Lord's perspective. We'll talk more about that as we go on. Then we'll, we'll see things differently. Okay, how to be a person of influence, those around you. Number two, come clean about your imperfections and need for God. Come clean about your imperfections and need for God. Last part of verse 15 talks about David getting exhausted and needing some help. It seems out of character for David. After all, they sing songs about David's battle and being able to slay his tens of thousands. When asked to kill 100, he kill 200. God gave him success on the battlefield again and again and again. But you know what? David was human. He got tired. You ever get tired? Well, praise Jesus, yes. Yeah, sometimes we need physical help and strength. I always need spiritual help. In, in my better moments... I'm asking the Lord for help and strength and wisdom and guidance, particularly during the tough days. And sometimes during those tough days, the Lord reminds me that I would not be able to do anything without Him even on my best days. David was called the man after God's own heart, but he was far from perfect spiritually. The Bible talks about David nearly 40 chapters, and just as he shows great faith and fortitude in one chapter, the next chapter we see he's misrepresenting the truth. He may be... Uh, relying on something other than God or breaking another one of the top ten commandments. Maybe that's why we can relate to David so well because we know that he was a sinner. But here's what we find David doing. He comes clean with God again and again. It's reflected in the Psalms and in, in the story. Sometimes it took a prophet to point out his error of his ways, but he would ask God for forgiveness and seek God's help. Even in this story in verse 17 that we read when his men told him he's not going out to do battle anymore, he didn't argue and say, now listen here, I'm the king of Israel, I'm God's anointed, I don't need your help. No, but God continued to be with David and give him victory in his later years, and he even did it through whom he influenced to trust and rely on God. People of influence and, are people of faith, and they are people who ask for forgiveness and help from a mighty God. Influencers, you'll not need to share every sin with those whom you influence. They know that you're not perfect. They know that you're sinful. You're not fooling anybody. But they also need to know that you come clean with God often and you depend on God alone for overcoming temptation and for facing the giants in your life. David was a man after God's own heart and called that partly because of his repentance and his redemption. 
But there's another reason. I think it's reflected also in what we learn from the stories of David. The third thing that we have here, one of the themes is be more like Jesus by demonstrating love for others. Be more like Jesus by demonstrating your love for others. When you picture Jesus when He was here in the flesh, who do you picture Him with? You picture Him with sinners. He's with tax collectors. He's with the lepers. He's with the handicapped. He's with the children. He's with the women who are in the need. People are important to Jesus. John 3.16, For God so loved the world. For God so loved people that He sent His only begotten Son. Perhaps David was also called a man after God's own heart because he cared for the people of Israel. We could make, we could make a long list maybe of David's imperfections, but more than any other king of Israel, maybe more than any other earthly king, he cared more for the people than he did for political power or prestige. When he had to run from King Saul because of Saul's jealousy, he was, he was not left alone, though he was a fugitive for 10 years until Saul's death. During that time, he gathered around him six hundred fighting men along with their families and households. And 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2 tells about the kind of people that were attracted to David. It says all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their people. This was a ragtag group that became an undefeatable army with God's help, partly because they found somebody who thought that they were important. That's who we influence. Not people whom we have hoodwinked into thinking that we're important, but we influence those people who know that they're important to us and we know that they know that we care about them. When David's fighting men said to David, you're not going out anymore. You two are important to us. They were returning the favor. Bring on the giants. Because you cared for us, king, we'll be ready to fight your battles. That David was the lamp of Israel. Jesus is the light of the world and He reminds us that we're important to Him and people should be important to us. Got one more thing that I think will be well for us. Stay the course and finish well. Uh, David's battles were over. He remained for the most part the king after, and the man after God's own heart. Some missteps during his life, some even toward the end that we'll talk about in the days to come. But here he stands and at one time when no one was willing to face the giants. Now they're standing in line. Next man up. Bring on the next giant. Look at David's praise. We'll borrow from the next chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 22 verses 1 and 2. said, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Verses 3 and 4 says, My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Quick starts and beginning enthusiasm are fairly common. Rare is the one who stays the course and finishes well. Rare one is the one found continuing to lift praise and constant thanksgiving to a mighty God. But the one who stays the course is much more likely to be the one who is influencing others to be strong in their faith. Our churches' roles are littered with names of people who have not only not stayed the course, but were negatively influenced by those who did not finish well. You're a person of influence, like it or not. 
I plead with you for your sake and for the sake of others, stay the course and finish well. These are some of the themes that we will be talking about a little more in depth. Some time ago, we were on a little sightseeing trip on a boat. And uh, so we were on this sightseeing trip and maybe seeing the landscape and mountains and waters and the kinds of things. And everybody was on the rail of the boat, kind of had their place to good good view. And Kelly and I found our spot. <clears throat> and uh, seemingly out of nowhere, a seven-foot-tall woman appeared and tried to muscle her way to where my wife was standing and to take her view. If you don't believe me, I've got a picture. <laughs> and uh, Kelly, I got to tell you, was having none of it. My little woman held her ground. God bless her. But speaking of giants, don't let a giant muscle their way so that you cannot get the best view of what God wants to do in your life and what God wants to do through you and to see how God's going to be at work in other people's lives as well. I'm asking you for something really special. A step above. Be intentionally a person of faith and a person of influence and watch friends, friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors be the next to step up. So what's the first thing that you need to do? You need to identify your giant. What is your giant? You remember the definitions that we talked about here before, any crisis, circumstance, or conflict that may cause you to stumble or allow you to demonstrate a growing faith in Jesus? Or if you just simply want to say a big problem. What's the biggest giant in your life right now? Maybe more than one that you could name. Maybe you want to write that down. Be nice to be able to live in this life without any problems, but it's not going to happen until Jesus comes again for as long as you're here on this earth. But it may be today that you want to turn that giant over to Him. Ask the Lord for you to help you to trust Him even more with whatever, whatever that problem or that giant may be and how the Lord might be able to use that to point other people to Jesus and so that others might trust Him for their problems as well. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 5 says this, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you've got problems in your life. may have nothing to do, you think, with God, but you can be sure that the Lord cares for you. Jesus loves you and He wants to have a relationship with you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you're listening today, it is today that you want to turn not only your problems, but you want to turn all your life over to Him. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and ask Christ to come in. As believers in the Lord Jesus... Identify whatever problem it is that you're facing at this time. Ask the Lord to help you to put your trust in Him for that particular problem and to be able to see how you might be able to, He might be able to use that problem to point other people to Jesus. He can do it today. But I encourage you over these next few weeks as we talk more about the times of David, I want you to be able to make the application of the story of David, the lessons that we can learn and how it can help you with that particular giant or the giants in your life in the days to come. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. We recognize your presence in this place. We recognize that you want to continue to be at work in our lives. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for how it continues to speak to us and that we can be a part of the work that you are doing. 
And Father, we thank you for the journey that we're on together. And we pray, Father, that you may continue to add more to our journey, that we may be able to experience more and more of you and be able to uh, be at work where you are at work. We pray, Father, if there's one here that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. We pray also, uh, Father, for uh, all those who are present today or all those who are listening. May today, may we make the application, not just learn more about the Bible, but may we learn more about you and how we might be able to, uh, how we might be able to apply your word to our lives even today. Thank you, Father. For this day, thank you for the days to come. Thank you for the vision that you've placed in our lives and the life of this church. Lift these prayers up in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.